Hello, my dear listeners. This is Miriam Joku, your host at the Overcoming Your Story podcast. This is episode 24, and I'm interviewing Petrona Joseph from Montreal. She's releasing her book that comes out September 7th. It's called Stigmatized, Breaking the Silence and Demystifying Mental Illness. It's a powerful conversation that I hope you will enjoy. Just a trigger warning, there's a brief mention of suicide in the episode. Petrona, I know you're a, a blogger. Uh, I think a journalist. You do many things. You do many things. Let me let you introduce yourself in your own words. Well, um, just to make it very, very simple for everyone, I, I, I'm a writer, so I write. I've been writing for nine years. I have my own blog. Um, but previously, I worked in the car business, and um, that was my first love, luxury vehicles. And then uh, the car business, if you know anything about it, it's very unstable. So that's when I decided to venture into something different, which was blogging. And uh, so blogging opened up a different door for me. It opened up the doors for me to go on TV, for me to sit on various journey, uh, juries, for example, judging um, film festivals and just a lot of opportunities. And today is a real full circle moment for me because I've always wanted to be a writer. And uh, my second book, which is this book, I think is it was my purpose, you know, on on Earth, whatever that may be. So it's it's all full circle. My first book was about blogging and how to uh, capitalize on that and marketing, but I was never really connected to it. So I stopped marketing it uh, a few years ago. So how did you come to writing this? very personal book that is actually your true story, like seeing the value, the richness of your story and how you can impact other people's lives. Mm -hmm. So there's a part in my first book where I wrote about uh, depression and how writing helped me get out of it, right? And uh, I wrote about the first time I blogged. It was after a friend had gotten me out of the house uh, three months after I was, I, I, I locked myself up in the house for three months only going out uh, for groceries, which was maybe one step away from my home at the time. And my dog, you know, she'd go to the backyard. I, I really didn't want to see anyone. And after that prompting, she's like, no, you have to get out of the house. So I left the house and um, I, I, I ventured out in the world. But that part of the book where I spoke about why I stayed in the house and how depression had affected me, I saw how a lot of people responded to that part of the book. And so at book readings, which I used to have book readings, believe it or not, at my home because I didn't want anybody to pay. So I would invite total strangers to my house. <laughs> and a lot of these strangers were opening up about their own struggles. And I remember vividly, I had a young woman at my house and she told me she had written a suicide letter this just the day before. And we're all sitting there and I had my epiphany. And that's when I said, you know, I will speak about my struggles one day. And I took that part of the book and I started developing. So the book is, is it's really, it's four years mm -hmm. in the making, but throughout the pandemic, mm -hmm. I lost my day job. I had a business, my business, uh, I can't say it went under, but sales were slow. So then I had all of this time, you know, we, we were under curfew in Montreal. 
So um, mm-hmm. I said, okay, well, I have all this time. Why not? So that's how the book came about. Wow, so powerful. Really so powerful. Um, if we wind it back, um, Petrona, because when I, I looked at your Instagram, you know, I know we don't look like our struggles, you know, because if you don't tell me what your story is, I would never guess from your Instagram. You, I know in one of the posts you talk about um, curating your life and bringing art into your life, and that's what you've been doing. But I can't imagine the force, the, the strength you've needed to get to that point. If you can just take us back, how did you grow up? Growing up, I was born in Trinidad and Tobago, and uh, at age three, my mom had passed away. So um, I, I try not to go too much into detail about my childhood too much vocally because it is very triggering for me. <laughs> so um, and I and and I mean I've I've healed from it, but still like it's going to catch up to me in two three hours that that was my reality. But um, you know, and I know a lot of people do have it worse. You know, some children um, you know were abandoned by their parents. So, but to me, uh, mine was just a lot of instability. And uh, a lot of trauma around uh, family life. And then moving to Montreal, I never really wanted to be here. So I was considered a delinquent child. And a lot of people think that children who misbehave in a home environment are bad kids. They're not necessarily bad kids. They are just acting out what's felt in the home. Some children are hypersensitive. I'm a hypersensitive person. So I can't, I, you know, if there's stuff that I feel in the atmosphere, um, I remove myself. But as a kid, you cannot remove yourself. You have to live with your parents. So I was always running away. And then eventually in Montreal, I got put into uh, foster care. I got put into the system. And so I was at foster homes. I was at group homes. And um, I speak about my father in the book because despite all of my bad behavior, my father didn't want to give up on me. My father could have easily just said, okay, just put her in the group home until she's 18 and then, you know, she'll fend for herself. When you leave a group home at 18, the system, I think, gives you maybe $800. That's all. So you're starting your life with $800. But my father spoke to the judge and he says, you know what? We're going to send her back to um, to where she's born, which was Trinidad. Then I went to boarding school in Trinidad. And um, I did get some reform there. I mean, but, but, but my behavior wasn't the problem. I was just acting out all of the, the dysfunction that I had lived throughout my years from, 30, from three years old to, let's say, 12 years old. And I speak about my stepmother in the book which uh, if a child is growing up in an environment where an adult does not like them, especially as women, if you're growing up and you have a stepmother or caretaker that does not like you, you then develop you know, feelings of not liking yourself because you know this person is supposed to take care of you and this person is telling you every day, you're stupid, you're ugly, you're this, you're that. You know, so my behavioral issues... I think, or mostly stemmed from, you know, a lot of the abuse, which I speak about in the book, but at the time I didn't realize it was emotional abuse. If it wasn't for my father sending me to that boarding school and always taking me back every time I ran away from home, I I would have been on the streets. I definitely would have been on the streets. 
They say with trauma, if there's someone like that, a figure who can reach out, like uh, extend help and support to, to the child going through it, it can make a difference. And your father definitely made a difference in your life. Um, yes, he did. I totally see what you mean when a caregiver doesn't like you and you feel it as a child. It's a very hopeless place, uh, mm-hmm. helpless place to be in. So how did you transform? I know you went to university, you speak several languages, mm-hmm. you studied linguistics. So how how did that that come about from that rebellious you, which it's true, uh, my, my last guest on the podcast is a man and he was saying the same thing, that when a child is acting out, mm-hmm. we have to pay attention because most of the time we just label the child a bad child. There are no bad children. It's the emotional pain they feel that they are acting out. Mm-hmm. So yes, exactly. Where, where is the problem? Yeah, mm-hmm. there is no bad child. Um, so how did that transformation process come about, Petrona? The only thing I can tell you is that I've always believed that my mother has always been with me. Um, I have been through a lot of things that are unexplainable. Um, for example being stranded at 2 a.m. in Montreal one morning and having nowhere else to go and calling someone and being like, hey, can I sleep at your house? And her being like, yeah, sure, but how will you get back? And not not having any transport, going up to a stranger and being like, hey, can you drop me off at my friend's house? And the man, he looked at me and there was just, I always said that that was probably an angel because the man, he looked at me and he was so concerned for my well-being. He's like, you're a 13-year-old girl walking the streets, asking strangers for a ride. And uh, surprisingly, he took me to that very location. I arrived safely and I went to bed that night thinking that was very extraordinary. And I turned around because when he dropped me off at the house, I, I swear, I turned around and I wanted to look for his car. You know, like when you, you enter a house and you, you look behind, the car was gone. Either he drove off very quickly or he just disappeared. And I always say to myself, it, it was angels. There was always something deep inside of me that wouldn't let me give up. Resilience, a lot of prayer. Um, and I had a lot of people praying for me. In the book, I speak about Sister Esther Basden, who... Um, you know, she was very adamant about praying, 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 even as an adult, going to classes and just maintaining some form of regularity in my studies. It, it was supernatural. That's all I can tell you. It, it really was supernatural. Amazing. Amazing. And did you feel comfortable at the time of your studies? letting anyone know about your story because I remember in my time when I was studying it was I I just took went to such great lengths to hide my story from everyone because <laughs> no one's story look, looked like mine so I was like no 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 for me no one knew I, I didn't no one would have imagined I mean I was the life of the party um, but people started suspecting because when the life of the party no longer is answering her phone, um, I used to get people calling me, hey, you know, we're we're right down. <laughs> I used to live uh, close to uh, Saint Laurent Boulevard, where like the two biggest clubs were. And so if somebody was going to any of these clubs, they would say, hey, Patrona, you know, come meet me. Meanwhile, I'm in my bed, catatonic, crying, wishing I was dead. And the, my friends are calling me to go party with them. 
So the next day, if they message me back, I would say, oh, I'm so sorry. I was so tired, you know? Um, people started looking, I speak about that in the book around when I was like in my twenties, people would start, um, distancing this themselves from me. They, they couldn't tell what it was, right. Because my behavior started becoming a little bit more different. Um, so they, you know, I transformed from being the life of the party to someone who was very flaky. Um, and you could feel my depression, but you couldn't see it. And then at, around that time too, I was very heavily involved in uh, witchcraft because I speak about that part in the book uh, where I thought I was cursed. So I was always very like, you know, mystical <laughs> thinking that that would be helping me. But, you know, we there's a lot of people like me, but they're just afraid to talk about it. There's, they're just afraid. They're afraid of being ostracized. People are afraid of the stigma of mental health. What are the main ones you've seen around mental health in our community? Well, the number famous one is definitely Black people don't get mental health, mental illness. So that's a white person's disease. I talk about that uh, when I do speak. Also, we're perceived, especially as Black women, we are the caretakers of society. So we are the ones that take care of other people. I don't know in your life, but for many of us, we are the ones that people are like, oh, I can go see her. But then when you tell them I'm going through something, a lot of the times people will used to tell me, well, I'm not even worried about you. It's like, but I'm telling you, I'm going through this. You know, I'm hurting. Oh, I'm not worried about you. You'll be fine. Because we're perceived in society as being the women, the independent women that don't mean, need anybody, you know, but it's not true. Um, and the third thing that I find really discomforting in the Black community is that we discourage each other from taking medication. So I speak about the church and how I was going to church thinking that, you know, I was in sin and I needed to pray an hour and a half every day just so I don't get afflicted by anxiety which was told to me that it was a demonic attack, okay? So every time I have a panic attack, imagine you're thinking that the demons are afflicting you, so you need to pray more. Meanwhile, I needed medication, right? And that was something that was discouraged. You don't need medication, you can drink green tea and pray to God, right? So these are the three things, you know? And we need to do better because um, antidepressants do help right? Antidepressants do help. Antidepressants uh, will sometimes balance a person out. I've been taking antidepressants eight years. This is my first year without antidepressants. And I could still feel that they have done tremendously for me because I have more days where I'm stable. I'm normal. Like today is a normal day. Yesterday was not a normal day, right? The day before that was a normal day. But then my 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 abnormal days were I know the like the mania is gone and I am, you know, in bed. Those used to last seven days. Now they may last, it may be a half day. The most it would be is two days, right? I did have an episode uh, while I was writing the book in Ontario where it lasted five days. And I allowed myself because I, I was, you know, in a different setting. So I did allow myself to to rest. I allowed myself to only do what I could do, right? But normally I would have like, you know, beaten myself up. I'm a, I'm a strong black woman. I shouldn't be like this. 
I, I, I gotta, I gotta work. I gotta, I gotta sweep. You know, we're always cleaning. <laughs> There's some, I gotta find something to clean. You know? <laughs> like, oh my goodness. That hits home. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, you know, we, we need to do better. We need to do better. We need to listen to black women and men, black men. We need to acknowledge people's feelings. We have to we have to let people know that they are seen and heard and acknowledged. Just that alone can regulate somebody's nervous system and make them feel better. But if you oh no, you're fine. You have nothing to worry about. When I was growing up, I had to tote water. This is what we tell we hear in Trinidadians. When I was growing up, I had to wake up at five, go down to the river, tote the water, bring it back up, you know, go to school, walk a half a mile. Okay, I understand that. But now in this setting in North America, I'm experiencing this. So could we acknowledge it, please? You know? Yeah. yeah. And even even those people who carry the water and they're trying to show they're fine, they're actually not fine. That's the thing, right? <laughs> They're not fine. It's just they don't realize, they don't accept. So they are not fine. And they want to push you into that denial that we we all, yes, it's all denial. No, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. How, how long? And they, it, it brings you back into shame and guilt. Ah, well, how can, why can't I be happy? I have this, I have that, I have this job, I have these degrees. Why can't I be happy? As if you don't have the ability to be happy. Uh, not knowing that things happen to you and those things, they change, they change your brain. They change the way your brain is structured, right? All those childhood difficulties. I remember on one of your quotes on Instagram, you said you change homes 10, you, you lived in 10 different homes in your formative years. I mean, that is enough to totally change the way a person experiences life. And no one can tell you, no, that's nothing. No, it's a big deal. And if as an adult, it impacts your brain, we have to accept that. I, like, like you, going from the point where I suffered for so many years to the point where I accepted to take medication, it was such a big deal. And it was such a relief when I did it after my, my third pregnancy and third postpartum depression. And I found doctors who found the right words to tell me, but if you're suffering so much, do you know you're not connecting with your child? And then wow. that... Wow, that's powerful. Wow. You know, because I want to suffer for myself, but to see that actually indirectly I inflict that on my child, I'm like, no, I don't want this. And then when when I got the education, because it's fear out of miseducation, when I got the education on the antidepressant that we we had been discussing for months, I was like, no, this will help me. And it did help me a lot. Did it? That's beautiful. It helped me. I think I brought better with with my third daughter. It was easier. Right. Yeah, it was easier. Yeah. Mm. And then I was not, you know, uh, for the first two, I was just suffering and waiting to get to the point where, they are not so dependent on me anymore. This mm-hmm. in this time, I, I was not in that state. I was just enjoying it, not waiting for for any milestone, you know. Mm-hmm. It was thanks to the antidepressant. I will always wow. say, yeah, yeah. That is so powerful. Yeah. And I can mm-hmm. tell you as an African girl, getting to the point where you say, yes, I want to take the antidepressant. <laughs> girl, I know, right? Yes. You have to unlock that brain. <laughs> On levels and levels, you know, you understand that too. I get you. you. Know? Oh my gosh, yes. Because even in Trinidad, yeah. you know, like 
Same thing here, yes. Same stories. Oh, we had it harder. You guys had it easier. No, it's just that we don't know what impacts a child in our communities. We don't know that a child needs to be nurtured, encouraged. Um, you know, affirmative words, not, not your stupid, your this, you know, and uh, a child doesn't have that and it impacts the person they become as an adult. It, it may not affect them right away, but yes, it does affect adults. It, it really, because we, we're just replaying everything we heard as a kid. And sometimes it stays dormant. Huh? We do well, we go to school, we get great jobs. Everybody says, wow, you're so this. And then at one point in a transition period, things just come up because they haven't been dealt with. They've just been pushed away, right? They just come up again. And then now we have to deal with them to be able to move. How has your book been received around you by people who know you or don't know you? <laughs> um, so I have one person who's read my book thus far. And um, when, you know, because I'm if you if you know me, I'm not one of these people that is after numbers or that's after I want to be, you know, I said to myself, if one person reads the book and the book is well received by one person to go get help because the whole point of me writing the book as well is so that people could understand, for example, antidepressants. I write my experience on antidepressants and how it helped me, but I also wrote the the negative, the downside of it. So if somebody could read that and it's like, okay, you know what? Let me go. And finally, because some of us, we have antidepressants in our cabinets that have been there and we refuse to take them because it shows that we're weak, right? So that one person can just be like, you know what? Let me try that antidepressants. Let me call my doctor and see if I could, you know. Um, so when I, because obviously there has to be some kind of marketing, which I'm totally against. I, you know, I may have been an influencer at the time, but I'm not like a marketing person, but I had to market the book, right? I, I wrote it. So, and I was like, oh my goodness, because I still have my old bosses that follow me. I have my friend's kids who follow me. A lot of uh, brands that I do uh, partnerships with that follow me. So I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, are, are people going to stop being my friends? Are people going to tell their kids, don't look at her Instagram anymore? And I got the total opposite. I, I, I remember logging back on Facebook, you know, because my family is also on Facebook. So I was like, okay, you know, let me just see if my family is saying anything, you know. I, I was like, what is going on here? the the shares the the likes the the my inbox i had so many inbox messages i couldn't answer everything it took me some days to finish all of them and then i sat back to myself and i said this is the lord's work okay this is this was intended by god i am doing the lord's work that is why um it's having this response okay because the book is not just talking about depression and anxiety it's talking about all of the other stuff that comes with that codependent relationships. I speak about that being in a, a, a relationship with someone because I didn't grow up with the attention on me. So I needed to be in a codependent relationship where I can forget about my problems and take care of this drug addict, right? Which in many years now I could, I could say he was a drug addict, but back then I thought it was normal. But then when the second drug addict come, then you're like, okay, I, I'm attracting situations. So I speak about that. I also talk about um, um, drugs, right? And so there were so many drugs around me, but there was just always something, no matter how depressed 
or how, um, you know, catatonic I may have felt inside. Um, I just was never able to take that first line of cocaine or, you know, participate in smoking weed. It just, it wasn't for me. So that in itself, a lot of people could relate to that because a lot of people are in codependent relationships with friends, family members, you know? So the book touches a little bit on everything. And because I was a public figure, because I've been on TV, a lot of people are telling me, you were going through all of that? The first time I, I appeared on television, I was so, uh, it affected me so dramatically that the next time I made sure I had a lot of Ativan. <laughs> so the next time, you, my second television appearance, you see me, I'm like, woo, woo. It's because I was... I was on my pills, you know. So. Yeah. Trying to manage all that anxiety, and right? <laughs> um, a lot of people could relate to it. A, a lot of high-level, uh, prof- profiled people that we see in the public. That's the difference the book has been making for me. A lot of them, they've been reaching out, and they're like, "Oh my God, thank you for talking about it. My ex-husband was abusive. Thank you for speaking about it." Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting in the book that a lot of people don't know about me is my involvement in uh, the occult, because I thought I was cursed. I thought depression and anxiety. And that's coming from uh, the Caribbean background. Uh, tell us a bit about that, because you mentioned it in the morning and I didn't ask you further. So how does that work? You go see spiritists and they tell you, yes, this is a curse. You need to get rid of the curse. So um, give me $3,000 and I will get rid of the curse. And so I, I went through that cycle for eight years. Oh, wow. And giving that a kind of amount of money? Sometimes less. Mm-hmm. Right? And then yeah. in the book, you're going to see that I was so, uh, but I got addicted to that. Right? Because mm-hmm. it's addictive. Yeah. You know what? I understand that because in Cameroon, where I come from in Africa, we have going to the traditional doctor. You know, you go and they look and they say, oh, yeah, your, 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 your spirit is, uh, someone is holding your spirit. You have to give money. You have to give a good for us to free. I didn't know you had that. In- you see, I'm learning so much. Thank you. No, but it's true. That's what they were telling me. I went through all kinds of ceremonies. Yeah, yeah. Trying to free yourself and uh, from this, from the person who cursed you, you know, yeah, um, yeah. This all is, kinds oh, of stuff. Your family line, so you have to do this and this to free. But actually, today I just call it childhood trauma, intergenerational trauma. Thank you. That's what is holding us. It's thank you. It's you know when we thank know you. about this and we hear from it, it's the curse lives itself. If we call it, thank curse. you. So I speak about that in the book. I speak about that. The the last uh, spiritualist or the witch doctor, when I've had enough, because I think I, my bank account was really going low and I went to see him. He's like, you know, it's, it's actually quite scary because he tells me um, there's a demon that's in love with you. And this demon is suppressing you. That's what's keeping you very heavy. Okay. So as a woman... How do you think that makes me feel? I think that going through a lot of these spirits, spiritualists affected my mental health even more, right? So I, I said to him, I said, so you're telling me that if I go to the church and I pray and I ask God to remove whatever this is away from me, it wouldn't work? And he told me, he says, 
if you go to the church and you pray and you ask God to heal you from whatever this is, he will do it, but it's going to take longer. That's the last day I ever looked back and I ever spent a, no, yeah, that was the last day I, I, I never looked back after that, right? Then I had to go to a church to get deliverance because a lot of the things, you know, a, a, a lot of the, um, there's also, actually, no, there was a, there was a witch. That was the last time. I think I went, I, I was still seeing another witch, but she was in Trinidad and she'd be like, okay, I need some money. But like, she was on my roster. I had a lot of them on my roster. I had a, I had one in Trinidad. I had one in Longueuil. <laughs> I had one in Montreal. Um, I had, I had a, someone I went to see every week so I could see where the danger is coming from. Think about it. But it's just, it's trauma. It's dealing with the trauma, PTSD. You never felt safe as a child. And you don't, you don't want to ever feel like that anymore. So you're mm -hmm. trying to see where it could come from so that you could preventively stay away from the danger. That's Exactly. That's, that's trauma. And, and that's something in our community. You know, if you tell somebody in, our, in the Black communities, in some parts of it, right? I'm not saying that voodoo and stuff like that. I don't know. That's up to God and the people who practice. That's, you know, but there are people out there that will see your weaknesses and prey on you. And that's, that's generally what happens. And you keep paying, you keep paying. Meanwhile, you should be going to see a psychologist and taking your medication. Because if you have depression or anxiety, it's not an attack of the demon. It's just that your brain is wired differently. And it comes from, it has been shown in studies that a child who is not safe, is not nurtured, is not protected, is not loved, you know. And when it's severe and lasts for too long, the brain develops in a very different way. And it can, it can come back, um, you know, in adulthood to, you know, to haunt us. So then people start saying, I remember, oh, why are you not happy? You have these degrees, you should be happy, but you're not. And then you feel so much guilt and shame. But why am I not happy? I should be happy. Why am I still not happy? I thought when I would reach this milestone, it would be it. I would feel fulfilled like somebody and it's not happening. What's wrong with me, right? And at the end, nothing is wrong with us. It's just the trauma. I didn't know that about uh, Trinidad. That uh, Yes, know, we have that, that very predominant in the West Indies, yeah, in the Caribbean. Wow. Yeah. And it's also very conflicting, right? Um, going to see the these um, spiritists and then the church because it's those are even for the mental health, it's not easy to manage because you see, the, you see what I mean? You see the spirit who says this, and then you, with the guilt again and shame, you go back to the church. You know, it's very, it's heavy to carry. And then when you go to the church, you're thinking that the church, they're there to help you. And so when you tell someone in the church, oh, I'm depressed, they, you got to pray. But then also when you tell them that, oh, I've been in the occult for 80 years, then they're like, ooh. Then they get a, then they're afraid of you. Yeah. Then they're afraid. It's weird. And then they're afraid to associate with you because you you used to hang with riches. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And then you're like, well, where where can I find help then? Yeah. Yeah. If everybody you is know? protecting you, uh, you I know. believe that God heard my prayers because I used to go to the Oratoire Saint Joseph and just sit there. I used to go to the Oratoire Saint and just sit, pray, God, please help me. Like over and over again, God, please help me. I don't know what this is. Please help me. Please help me. And and just and he heard me. I I I tell you, 
he heard me. So that the one of the last spiritualists that I saw, he was right. It took a while. It took a. It took you know. But when I took my first antidepressant, that's when I knew God had heard me because I needed that antidepressant. Yeah, I yeah. needed it. Yeah, and. All of a sudden, the demons were gone, right? Yeah. It resets your brain. All of a sudden, you're in the present. You're not, you know, all over right. in your brain. You're here. Yeah. You know, you can feel your feelings. Mm -hmm. You don't feel as if something will attack you. Mm -hmm. And you don't have intrusive thoughts. Um, you know, so I talk about uh, a suicide, right, in the book. So I talk about the, so, so suicidal thoughts were very persistent, even while I'm not on medication right now, I have to be very vigilant because that's also a part of my illness, right? It's, um, it's just a reoccurring, but then when it happens now, I'm like, okay, that's not a demonic thought. That's an, that's an intrusion. That's a thought that's intruding my mind. And, you know, so now I know the tools. Okay. Let me self-manage this and let me get out of this, right? So we need to be teaching the tools. Just before I went to Ontario, we had had a few suicides in the Black community right here in Montreal. So just that alone is telling you something, that people are really suffering in silence because for you to, you know, not, not know where to go or where to get help, you know what I mean? You feel so alone. You feel hopeless. I've called the suicide hotline, I remember. I remember calling... And the guy, I don't know how he did it, but just that conversation alone, I hung up the phone and I was like, okay, so I'm not going to commit suicide. Oh, that's amazing. You know, because we feel alone. It's, it's the isolation, but reaching out. I tell people, if you're suicidal, don't call a friend. Do not call a friend. Okay. Do call the suicide hotline. They are trained. They are equipped. Right. And sometimes just that alone is able to regulate you back to, you know, where you're at. Yeah, because people want the pain taken away. They don't want to actually die. They, they just want to stop the suffering. And uh, it's true that if you talk to the right person who has the right training, it could actually, as you said, regulate you and bring you back um, to the. Yes. Press. Don't call the police. Don't call the cops. You know, it, that's very important. Not, if you're feeling suicidal, do not call the police. Uh, you can possibly call an ambulance, but call the, call the suicide. In the back of my book, I give the list of all the resources, all the suicide hotlines. Cut it out of the book. Put it on your fridge. These are the resources you can call. I give for Montreal and New York, um, but you can just look it up online. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, so that people know where to go in case of crisis that's really necessary. Because with so much shame around trauma, people people don't feel comfortable talking about it. But it doesn't mean they're not suffering from it on a daily basis. I know you you went to a different city to write your book. So you decided to go to Waterloo. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Instagram, for all the information. <laughs> yeah. So you went to Waterloo and uh, you spent some time just focusing on writing your book. That's where I finished the book. I wouldn't have been able to finish it in Montreal. Mm. I wouldn't have been able to. I woke yeah. up one day. I'm like, okay, time to go. And it was God. That's why I know this is the Lord's work. You know, it was God. I applied for an apartment, got it. Didn't even know where it really was. I thought Waterloo was in Toronto. 
<laughs> I thought it was. So I'm like, I'm going to Toronto. And then, <laughs> and then the girl was like, no, this is Waterloo. I'm like, water where? You know? <laughs> and then um, I, I researched it. So I'm like, okay, it's an hour away from Toronto. So I'm thinking it's the suburbs. I get there. I remember being so scared and uh, I don't, I don't really do high rises. It was because I'm afraid of heights and stuff. It's in the tallest building. It's in a high rise. I'm like, what did I get myself into? And then I go there thinking I'm going to be partying every two nights (laughs) and I'm going to be, you know, having all these fancy dinners. I'm going to meet all these other bloggers. It didn't go the way I was expecting it. It actually happened where I spent a lot of time alone and I was resting a lot. And that's how I was able to write the book because the book reliving the trauma. So that's how I knew it was God, even to come back to Montreal. It, it, it was, it was God ordained. One of my friends came to Toronto to get, like she came to Toronto and I came back to Montreal. I came back to Montreal. I didn't have a place to stay. Uh, she's like, stay at my place. Like it was all God. It was, it was all God. That's why the response to the book, you know, I don't care about bestselling. It's, that's not my, that's not my goal, but I want people to know that there was, there was, it was ordained by, you know, so it's going to reach the people that it's supposed to reach. But that was, Waterloo was the, one of the best experiences for me. Wow. I'm really happy. I'm really happy. Um, before you talked about, you mentioned symptoms of your mental illness. So were you ever diagnosed with a mental illness? And if you don't feel comfortable sharing, we, we don't mm-hmm. talk about it. But Well, wait. yeah, I was diagnosed with reoccurring depression um, and definitely anxiety. That's why I was prescribed the medication I was prescribed. A very, uh, very poignant point to note that when you're suffering from anxiety, your doctor may put you on antidepressants. So when my doctor, when I was like, okay, you need to give me something. Um, I can't take Ativan every day. When he was telling me he was putting me on antidepressants, I was still in denial. I was like, oh no, I'm not depressed. I just need it for the anxiety. And he's looking at me like, I've been telling you, you've been depressed for a long time and you have, you know, so I went through it with my family doctor who has been following me since I've been a child. And, uh, so that's how I, I went throughout. But also when you're working, you have an employer, sometimes your employer, your, your insurance, you know, covers a lot of your evaluations and a lot of, uh, you know, your counseling. So I did go through that as well. So the reoccurring depression, I, I cannot necessarily call it bipolar, um, because bipolar, you have a different kind of mania. I just have it, it's reoccurring. So it's almost like a chemical in my brain. Maybe there's not enough serotonin. So that's why I take the cetraline, right? To get the serotonin levels up. You said something that struck me that your doctor said that you were depressed for years. Because the thing is, we don't know the signs of depression. I think many of us in the black community, we are depressed and we don't even know. We are just so used to living with that suffering. yet. As you said before, being, you know, that brave black woman pushing forward, being the dependable sister, mother, auntie, everything that you don't even know, especially when it starts early um, in childhood. I remember the first day I saw a family doctor and then I explained uh, how I was feeling and then he asked some questions and then he told me, I think you've been depressed since you were a child. I never went back to him. I just, yeah. (laughs) 
I said, no, no. I was so angry. How can he tell me that? How does he? <laughs> That's how I felt too when my my doctor first told me that. Yes. I was upset. Yeah, yeah right. I say I never went back to that from <laughs> <laughs> You know? Yes. Oh yes. No. And then when I look back now, I'm like, yeah, for certain, like since I was like eight, nine years old. You know? Um, but it's just that you that's that's all you've known. So you know how to mask it, move forward, take exams, graduate, you know, you just, and then you just manage it behind closed doors. What's wrong with me? Why am I feeling like this? And things like that. But you're, you're right. Many of us, um, even if it shows up at one point, we don't recognize the signs of depression. You know, we just think, oh, I'm a bit slow these days. It's so, it's hard for me to go brush my teeth. We don't come to see it, say that actually it's a health problem. You know, it's like breaking a limb. It's it's really a health problem that has to be addressed because it impacts if you're like a mom and you're depressive, it impacts everyone around you. And most people don't even realize that they, they, they are depressed or it takes time sometimes to see that they are anxious. There was a doctor here at the University of Ottawa. Oh, you're in Ottawa. I'm, I'm in Gatineau. Okay, okay, I love that area. Okay, very nice. Yeah, yeah, Emma got you know. Um, so there's a there's a prof a Haitian professor at the at the University of Ottawa who like he does his research on the black community, like mental health of the black community, and he was saying that because we have such a hard time putting words to how we feel and to our mental states, it shows up in our bodies as pains, back pain. This pain, you know, always pains everywhere, pains, pains. But it's just all the things that we cannot voice, we cannot put words to, we cannot release. So it gets stuck inside and then it shows up in our body. Um, yeah, that I, I, it was during the Black History Month and he did that presentation. I was just like, wow, you that know. That makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Yes. This podcast is for Black women like you and me. Okay. So for 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 the black sisters out there what 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 message would you like to 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 send to them that you are worth getting help for you are worth it right because we're unconsciously programmed to believe that you know under a lot of layers that we don't deserve the you know but we deserve to get the help for us and also getting help is your responsibility it's not the responsibility of somebody else, right? You have to get healthy for you. Yeah, that's so important. Yeah. Um, as much as uh, I used to hate hearing that, um, the day I understood that the only person who will make things better for me is me, well, you know, things change um, totally. And it's okay to go see a therapist. It's okay to go to therapy. Um, see, reach out for help if you need help, right? Um, what could I wish you for your book? Um, I wish many people would buy your book. Oh, people would discover your book. Um, Thank I would you. That's that very book. kind of you. Yeah, really. No, I'm really very excited <laughs> for you. And, uh, I thank you for having the courage to write wholly like this about your experience, even even parts that you know that people would be scared about, but it's so educational because I think for you too, it brings you freedom not to have to, you know, 
hide parts. I used to be like, now wait, what did I stare high again? Let me think. Oh, let me rewind. No, now it's just, you know, I'm just here now. So what are we talking about? It is what it is. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. When you, when you get to that, there's a level of peace, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you get what you see uh, that's it you know we're not gonna go think try to look mm. smart no that's it <laughs> that's it honey yeah oh, and it's amazing to get to that and i wish many of us we get to that level of acceptance of ourselves and mm. uh, you know and uh, really as you said that we are worthy of being well mm-hmm. yeah yeah so um Lots of success to your book. Thank you. I receive it. Thank you very much. I receive it. Yeah. I can't wait for my copy to come tomorrow. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you know, when when one person um, steps up and frees their voice like this, it gives courage to so many people. And uh, as you've been saying, even people you wouldn't expect, Mm-hmm. reach out to you and uh, and they say hey you know i what you're saying here speaks to me because it's also my experience and sometimes you're like whoa you too like because you right. yeah you know mm. and uh, it takes the bravery of uh, petrona to you know to get <laughs> well, there. Thank you. there's many of us there's many of us you know yeah. there's many of us and then you're gonna write your book as well and that's gonna also shed another light you know and it will yeah. educate women like myself. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's all about education. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when we know better, I believe we can do better. Exactly. Yeah. For all of us, for everyone. Yeah. Okay. So uh, thank you so much. My thank pleasure. You. Thank you. Thank you.